Welcome to the Stuttgart Missional Community Church Sermon Podcast. SMCC is a multicultural church serving the English-speaking community in Stuttgart, Germany. For more information or to contact us, visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net. The law, the law of the Lord, the Ten Commandments, the law throughout Scripture, it, it reveals our inability to keep the rules. It reveals that we cannot obey the law perfectly in our own strength. That's really, really bad news. But the good news of the gospel is that when we repent and we trust Jesus as Lord, the law goes from being our enemy to becoming our friend. Because in Christ Jesus, each one of us is justified according to the law. That's pretty important, right? And so we're going to talk a lot about that today because I think for many Christians, they are still all about the law. And the law is not necessarily done away with. Well, we'll talk about this a little bit, but how can we perfectly keep the law today? I want to tell you that you can, right? It doesn't seem like it. You're thinking nobody's perfect and you're right, but... If it was in our own strength and our own power, we'd be in real trouble. But it's the revelation that God gives us. It's his strength that he gives us. It's his direction he gives us that is an act of grace. So the first point today is that the law reveals his love for, uh, the law reveals his love for his people. The law of the Lord reveals God's love. How many of you think rules reveal love? Raise your hand. You think, come on, you don't believe that, right? I mean, seriously, I saw no kids raise their hand, right? No kids, right? They're honest here. Rules, right? The parents got their hands up, but the kids are like, I don't know. Rules don't feel like they are for my benefit. They don't feel like an expression of my parents' love. I, I don't want to do my homework. I want to play Fortnite all day and all night. That's what I want to do. That's what's good for me, mom. Fortnite. Fortnite is what's good for me. But our parents set rules out. Don't get all too happy. Look at the Reynolds kids high-fiving each other. <laughs> Listen, don't get too happy, Reynolds boys, because here's the thing. Your parents have rules for your benefit. The rules are for your benefit. Your, Fortnite will turn your brain to mush, okay? Uh, video games, constant video games will turn your brain to mush. Watching TV all the time will turn your brains to mush, your parents have what's good for you in mind, and so does the Lord. When he lays out his law, it's an act of grace. It's an act of mercy because we don't always know what's best for us, but God does. And kids, let me tell you something. You have no idea what's best for you, but your parents do. They know what's best for you. They know what it's going to take to grow up, to be responsible, what, it, what it's going to take to get good grades and, and excel. They know and they're there to help you. And God gives us the Ten Commandments as an act of grace that we might have what's best for us. Now, church, I'd, I'd be lying if I said it didn't. Know, it, it, it always did feel that way, but it, it doesn't. Sometimes the law of the Lord, sometimes even my own conscience can feel restrictive. And like, God, why are you keeping this from us? But it's because of his mercy and because of his grace and because he knows what's good ultimately for us, we do not. He gave the law to Israel as a gift of grace for their own good. 
God reveals himself through general revelation. He re- reveals himself two ways, general, general revelation and special revelation. And it's critical, church, that we understand the difference between the two. General revelation of God is seen in creation, right? When we look around, when we go to the Alps and go skiing, and we see the super tall, beautiful, majestic mountains just seemingly rising up from the earth, we are experiencing God's general revelation. Now, I visited Westminster Abbey, many of you have, and as you walk the aisles of Westminster Abbey, I think it's very interesting that buried there is Charles Darwin, and you walk over his grave. I didn't, I I just think that's very interesting, because Darwin's theory of evolution has stood in the way of, uh, basically stood opposed to God's account of creation in Genesis for forever. But when, it, it has been said that if Charles Darwin understood just a little bit of what we understand of the cell and of DNA today, he would have never, never formed this theory of evolution. And when you look at God's creation, that this is all by happenstance, that God's created order in the universe just happened. And we, we alone emerged out of the the ooze and the slime and then became walking, talking, sentient beings. And here we are today, right, with a microphone and lights, and you drove here probably in a car, and this all just kind of happened. You, we also are forgetting that if the earth was just a hair closer to the sun, we would have burned up. If we were just a little bit further away, we would have froze to death. We, God's perfect order is exactly that. It is his perfect order. He is the creator. He is the alpha and the omega. And just looking at monkeys and how they sometimes walk upright like we do is not enough to draw this hypothesis or this theory that that we just evolved from them. But it is true that we all share the same DNA, right? I mean, animals have DNA, humans have DNA. That's true. Why? Because we have one creator. Without focusing too much on this, uh, it's safe enough to say that when we really take time to look at creation, we see God in everything. I know I've already referred to C.S. Lewis once, but in his book, The Screwtape Letters, a book, of, a book of letters between demons and how to, it's a fictional work, of course, but it's the fictional work of two demons strategizing on how best to deceive a human being. And one of the things the demons hate is the human being going on long walks and enjoying nature because all of nature reveals God, all of it. Every tree, every bush, every small animal, every huge animal, every mountain, every sea reveals God's creation. And long walks, contemplative walks were always, always off the table between these two. If you've never read this very short, basically short story, you should definitely check it out. It's very interesting. Again, it's a complete work of fiction, but to see just a little bit, a little use your imagination a little bit about what might be going on in the unseen world. It's pretty, pretty interesting. But all of this is general revelation. So we experience this, but so do the deepest, darkest places of the world. That tribe in India, that island right off of India where the missionary was killed last year, um, even, th- even they, if, if they've never heard the gospel, they can see God in creation through general revelation. But we... And the Israelites have something else. We have special revelation. And special revelation is in God's word, right? 
God has revealed himself through his word. The truth is, if God had not revealed himself in his word, we would know nothing of him. Everything we know about God has been revealed by God because he is over us. He is over all creation. He existed before it, before even written history. And if we didn't have him, right, to reveal himself, we would know nothing of him. And so God reveals himself to his people through special revelation. And this is first and foremost through his word. He has revealed himself to us. And so his law reveals a lot about his character, his love for us, and his mercy and his grace. It reveals his love for his people. Point number two, God's law reveals how we are to worship and honor him. All right, the first four commandments are vertical commandments. They are directed toward God. How are we to worship? Who are we to worship? That's what the four, first four commandments talk about. Number one, God says that he alone is God. How do we know there's only one God? Because God has revealed there's only one God, and he is him, right? His name is the great I Am. And he will not share his glory with any other God because all other gods are little g. Amen? Little g gods, right? There is only one God. This is so critical to our understanding of who God is. And he, he reveals himself as a, a jealous God, a God who, who is not jealous as we think of jealousy, but a God who created us, who loves us, who gave us his law, who, who has called us a people that are his own. And when we call somebody else father, of course, that hurts the heart of God. Of course, that hurts his heart. Secondly, he says, he is to be worshipped for who he is, not as an image of what we can create. In Romans one twenty five, it says this, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. We are really, really good at making idols. And we look at the Israelites who received the Ten Commandments and then not too, not too soon after uh, made an idol of gold in the shape of a cow. Of all the animals to worship on the earth, they made an image in, a, in the shape of a, a cow. Not a snake, uh, not a shark, nothing cool, but a cow. And they worshiped and they bowed down to it like it was the golden cow that delivered them from Egypt, the foolishness of it. But God does great things in your life and in my life and and when things are going okay, we turn around and we whore ourselves out and we worship other gods. I use that word carefully, right? Not to shock you, but the Bible says it constantly over and over. We prostitute ourselves. We whore ourselves. We sell ourselves to lesser gods. God is the creator of the universe, and we choose to worship what is created by man's hands. Maybe not a calf of gold, but a job, or a child, or a car, or a house. Things that we will never sacrifice for God. Things that are never on the table when it comes to Him. We have worshipped those things. We have made them an object of our worship. 
And number three, God says his name is to be revered, not used flippantly. We should not be people who walk around the earth saying, oh my God. We should never be that person. We should never even use the OMG text language, right? You say, oh, that means, oh my goodness. Well, that basically means the same. We should never use God's name flippantly. And you think, oh man, we're not six years old. And I agree, you're not. And we serve a God who created all of us, who gave his son and died on the cross. And his name definitely should not be used flippantly, and it definitely shouldn't be used in place of a four-letter filth word. Amen. Somebody say amen, right? Our Lord, Jesus Christ, his name should never be used as a curse word. You know, when I'm, when I, before I became a Christian, this name meant nothing to me. But after I was set free, after I was my sight was regained, my lameness restored, and everything that God had done in my life, I want to tell you that that name became holy and reverent in my life. And, you know, I could be around people who drop the F-bomb or say this or say that, but it's not until they use the name of my Lord and Savior that my ears really perk up and my anger is kindled a little bit. And it's so frustrating to me that this is one of the approved curse words on television today, right? You could probably, you could say JC all day long, right? And nobody's going to bat an eye, but you know, you're limited to one F word and this and that and movies and so on and so on. But this, this, nobody says, stubs their toe and says, ah, Muhammad, right? Or Krishna. No, it's the name of our Lord that is used as a curse word. This should be extremely offensive to Christians. And we should never, ever let those words come out of our mouth flippantly. The name of the Lord is power, and there's authority in it, and that's the way we should use it. Lastly, or in the fourth part, I should, fourth part of our vertical commands, we are commanded that we are to rest one day a week. We are to, we're commanded to take time to rest and to worship. One day a week. We're really good at the rest part. We're really good at chilling out and relaxing, laying around the house or whatever. But when it comes to the worship part, we could use a little work. But this, this day is important. Now, whether it's on a Sunday or on a Saturday or a Monday, it's important that we take time and we reflect upon God's goodness. Not just rest, but rest in, 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 in His presence. I would put it to you, church, that every day, as much as possible, is to be a Sabbath to the Lord, a day where we work in His presence, a day where we rest in His presence, where we cook in His presence, when we shower in His presence, when everything we do is with a conscious understanding that God is present and He is near. Amen? Our third point is God's law reveals how to love one another. So God's law reveals how to love Him how we are to worship him. He sets it out for us, and he also tells us how we're to love one another. In Exodus chapter 20, we get this. Verse 3, You have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself a carved image or any likeness that is in heaven above or is on the earth beneath. These are the vertical commandments. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting iniquity on the fathers of children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands, 
of those who love me and keep my commandments. And verse 7 says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, and he will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. In verse 8, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And we skip down to verse 12. It says, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land your Lord God is giving you. 13, you shall not murder. 14, you shall not commit adultery. 15, you shall not steal. In verse 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house or his wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. We have vertical commands, we have horizontal commands, and these horizontal commands are part of the Ten Commandments. They are important. And in our worship services, when we come together, we often are really good at focusing on this direction, right? We come to worship God, so our worship is vertical. But the Bible, not only in the Ten Commandments, but throughout Scripture, also tells us that worship is manifested in our horizontal relationships as well, how we love one another. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of the most prolific uh, advocates for the body of Christ, being the literal body of Christ on the earth today, and it's in, in everything. We are tasked with his mission, but we also represent him in how we love one another. We are to demonstrate the love of Christ to one another and support one another. And this is what should keep people coming to church all the time. You think, well, you know, that season in my life, God really showed up. I was in church every week and God would, you know, move mightily, but I haven't been to church in a while. Because when we're focused purely on the vertical, there's no reason to come to church when everything's going cool. But when we realize that we have a responsibility in the horizontal realm as well to love one another, support one another, maybe everything's going awesome for you, but it's not going awesome for your neighbor. You're here to minister to them. You're here to serve them because we are the body of Christ. It is both vertical and horizontal, and so are the commands. He expects us to follow those as well as we would follow the vertical commands. Kids, listen up. You are to honor and respect your parents. Grown-ups, listen up. You are to honor and respect your parents. I am called to honor and respect my parents. Children are called to honor and respect their parents, whether or not you agree with them all the time. It doesn't say that. It says, honor your father and mother, period. Are your parents wrong sometimes? Yes, sometimes they are but you are to honor and respect them regardless. Is that easy? No. It's hard. It's hard. It doesn't come natural to us. What comes natural to us? Doing whatever we want. We've already talked about this. That's what comes natural. But we are to obey and honor and respect our parents. It's, just, it's black and white. We are to love our neighbor. And loving our neighbor means not doing harm to them. Not harming them. If I love my neighbor, I'm not going to smack my neighbor. I'm certainly not going to murder my neighbor. Amen. I may feel like it. I may rage in my heart, you know, maybe not to murder, but somebody sometimes, you ever just like, like this guy would really benefit from a solid throat punch. Anybody ever thought that? (laughs) I've thought that. Sure. You know, this would do really, I will smite him. In the name of the Lord. But loving our neighbor means not doing them harm. The truth is, I probably also could benefit from a good throat punch once in a while. 
And I'm glad that nobody's done it <laughs> lately. He also says we should not commit adultery. We should honor our marriage and the marriage of our neighbor by not committing adultery in thought or in deed. Matthew 5.28 says, I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman or a man with lustful intent has already committed adultery with him or her in his heart. Church, this is the great struggle of our time. It's one of the great struggles of our time. Adultery in thought. While it affects more men than women, it is something that is nonetheless a struggle and a battle, and it's real. But it can be won. It can be, you can have victory over it. The first thing we have to do is start talking about it a little bit and bringing it to the attention and letting other men know that they're not alone in their struggle. But church, make no mistake, we dishonor our marriage. We dishonor our spouse when we look lustfully at another woman or another man. When we imagine in our heart that we are committing adultery, Jesus clearly says you have committed adultery. The truth is, many of us have committed, we have violated all ten of the commandments, not just this one, right? These commandments are violated in many ways, but this is something that I see as a huge struggle today, and I'm sure you do as well. We are also not to steal. I want to confess something to you today. Your pastor was a huge thief. I mean, I didn't even have to want the thing. I would steal it as a kid. Everything. I remember the first time I got caught. I was at a grocery store, and I stole a pack of gum, and I got in the car, and I started unwrapping the gum and chewing it. My mom's like, where'd you get that? I found it, you know, found it, and my uncle, my, my mother's brother-in-law worked at this store, and she hauls me in there, and she grabs him, and she, you know, he, Matt stole this, and I get a firm talking to. Unfortunately, you know, unfortunately, that is not where it stopped. I was seriously a kleptomaniac up until almost I received Christ. I mean, as an adult as well, just I had a huge problem with this, taking things that were not mine. The Bible strictly forbids it. You shall not steal. You shall not cheat. Cheating is a form of stealing. Do not take what is not yours. I want to tell you that, thankfully, and maybe some of you are getting worried now, right? But your pastor's also been delivered from that. We will... (laughs) We will also not tell lies, falsehoods, right? Now, we can get nitpicky on all of these things. Now, you think about stealing, for example. Many of you, many of you would say, well, I don't steal anything. Well, are you downloading content from the Internet that's not yours? Is that stealing? I mean, the law says it's stealing. Maybe you don't say it's stealing, but we've already learned that, you know, we don't get to choose the laws we obey, right? The laws are there for a good reason. So maybe downloading content is stealing, and maybe you ought not to be doing that. And maybe if you feel like you have to steal it, you don't really need it in the first place. Is that possible? I know it's really quiet. I totally expected it to be because this is really stepping on a lot of toes because I know a ton of Christians who participate in this stuff. But... Is that stealing? I kind of think it is. I don't think you should be engaged 
in that stuff. And lying, do you... Do you tell little falsehoods about stuff you're selling on Buku, right? I mean, you, do you, or do you keep things from people? Are you cheating them? Maybe you're not. Maybe you are. And lastly, be grateful for what you have without lusting for what you do not. You know what really keeps you from being covetousness, what keeps covetousness at bay? Gratefulness. Gratefulness, thankfulness keeps it at bay. Be thankful for what you have. Don't lust at what you, after what you don't have. Don't covet what your neighbor has. Somebody's always going to have more than you. And if you make it your life to chase after what you don't have, you are going to be miserable. Enjoy what you have. Now, many of you in your childhood have dedicated yourself to remembering the Ten Commandments, to memorizing them. And I think that's a good and virtuous thing. I, there's no problem with that. But Jesus gives us a summary in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 and 39. He says this in verse 37. He's answering a Pharisee who's asking him, what is the greatest commandment? And he says this, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. If you do this, if you love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, you will never, never break the first four commandments. Amen? So, instead of remembering the first four, remember this one. Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind, and you will keep the first four commandments. And Jesus goes on. He says, the first, this is the first commandment in verse 38. And in verse 39, he says this, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If you love your neighbor as yourself, what is often called the golden rule and quoted as such, if you do this, you will not break the last six commandments. Amen. Amen. So remember this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And you will keep the Ten Commandments, whether you memorize them or not. Because I want to tell you something. What's more important than memorizing the Ten Commandments is keeping them. And you might think, well, You've already said we can't keep them. It's impossible, and it's true. And you will, your life in Christianity will be one of frustration if you make your aim in life to keep the Ten Commandments in your own strength. Because the Ten Commandments are impossible to keep apart from God. As a matter of fact, it's what their purpose is apart from God. The law is given that we might know our need of God, that we might have a need for Jesus it reveals that need. It, it's, it's like that Band-Aid that you rip off and you look and you're checking out, you know, you, you really see the wound. You really see the progression. And the law is like that Band-Aid that's been ripped off and it reveals the pain. It reveals the nature of where the infection is coming from and it's sin. It's sin. The law reveals our sin. But in Christ Jesus, the law takes on a whole different... <sighs> It takes on its true meaning and purpose, which is to protect God's people, to give God's people his best in Christ Jesus. We cannot, we cannot keep the law apart from him, but through him we can do all things. And we can keep the law. There has not been one violation of the Ten Commandments in my Christian life that I have not violated willfully. Listen to me willfully, if I break a commandment, if I sin against my wife, if I sin against my God, it is because I have done so willfully. The devil didn't make me do 
anything. As a matter of fact, the Holy Spirit has made many avenues of escape. But I gave in to temptation. I chose to worship the created rather than the creator. I chose to worship myself rather than to worship God. I chose to do so. But in every instance, I could have said, no, I choose Jesus. I choose him. And in his strength and in his power, I know for sure that the temptation could have and oftentimes is resisted. Amen. We can do it with him. The law, apart from Christ, is a death sentence. It is a death sentence. But for those who are in Christ, under grace provided through the atonement, it is life. It's a, it doesn't make sense to our natural ways. We, many people don't come to Christ because they think they only see everything that they quote-unquote have to give up. But for those of us in Christ, we understand that what we leave behind is nothing compared to what we have received. Our life today, not just someday in eternity, we're going to be around with Jesus and we're going to enjoy the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's true, but the truth is, Joel Osteen did get this right. It is your best life now. Life in Jesus is your best life now. That is 100% absolutely true because the law, you're not under this curse of the law anymore. The law brings freedom. It brings freedom. We were just talking about this the other day about how there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That, that, that guilt, that weight, that I have to do this and check this box and tick that, that might be true for promotion, but it's not true for Christianity. We are accepted. We are loved. We are received. And our obedience to His law is a manifestation of our faith and trust in Him that He loves us and wants what's best. Amen? The law is not a curse. It's a blessing. Romans 8 says this, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Church, be free today. Put your faith, your trust in Jesus Christ as Lord. Receive His sacrifice for your sins. And don't live under the curse of the law but in the freedom of it. Amen. Lord, we thank you today. We thank you for the law. We thank you for special revelation that, Jesus, you have revealed yourself to us through your word. And God, we see you in the law. We see you in your provision. We see your love, your mercy, your grace. We see Jesus in the law. We thank you, Lord, that you came to be that perfect sacrifice for us. We could never keep the law in our own strength. We could never, ever make the meet the grade meet the standard of perfection but in Christ Jesus who was a man who was born of a woman who lived a perfect life sin free and gave himself on Calvary's cross we have perfection in Christ Jesus we're thankful for that we are no longer under the curse but we live as freed men in Jesus Christ <laughs> Thank you for listening to the SMCC Sermon Podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net.
www.thepodcast.net.